Welcome back to the Brawn Body Podcast. Today we're going to be going over protein powders and other supplements involved in muscle and strength gain. So if you were following me on Instagram, you know last week I kind of started with a little debunking some supplement myths. I did this whole big long series on my story. Uh, Got a lot of people uh, giving good feedback about that. So that's taking us into a little mini-series on the podcast here where we're going to talk about supplements and what is good, what isn't good, what you should look for, that sort of thing. So we're going to dive in a little deeper. Um, I'm actually recording this later than normal again because I wanted to go back in and add some thoughts about the debate in a extended little intro section. So... Uh, you'll hear that first, and then we'll go into the good stuff and all of that. So, without further ado, let's dive in. So I wanted to go back in and add some thoughts and debriefing after the presidential debate last night. So, I didn't watch the debate. I just heard about it from everyone under the sun, it seemed like. Um, everyone had an opinion. Everyone said, well, you know, this candidate won, and, you know, people were arguing about that. You know, this candidate won, no, this candidate won. Uh, People were saying, you know, the whole thing was just such a mess and an embarrassment that it was just awful, a whole nine yards, and I've heard it all, seen it all. I've seen stuff misquoted. I've seen uh, little snippets shared and taken out of context, and just, it is such a mess right now. And I'm not saying this sort of stuff to get political. Um, I don't want to get into the whole Trump versus Biden and who I'm voting for or who I think you should vote for. I'm not here to get into that. This is not a political uh, podcast. This is a health and fitness podcast. So with that, I do want to point out a couple things that I do notice from the health and fitness lens, so to speak. So, last night's debate, from the highlights I've seen and from what I've heard, was very divided. So, it wasn't a nice, casual, civil conversation. It was very heated. It was uh, mano y mano, kind of almost like dogfighting it out, so to speak, Biden versus Trump. And, you know, that's just how it was. But those two candidates represent two different political parties. And what we're seeing across the country, across America right now, is division. We're seeing conservatives and liberals butting heads and clashing over stupid little things, like should you wear a mask or this or that or whatever. Um, And some of it, yes, they're bigger deals, they're bigger issues, and people are clashing. But some of the stuff is just getting outrageous how small and ridiculous, like little things. Um, so I don't really know what to think of why people are thinking that way other than it must be because this is what they see the candidates doing and they are mimicking the behavior that they're seeing modeled by the person that they're going to be voting for. So if you are one of those people who is constantly tearing someone else down over stupid little stuff, stop. Plain and simple. 
I mean, the amount of people, the amount of negativity I'm seeing on social media right now, where people won't even listen to someone's story, they'll just hear that they believe something different than them, and then try and tear them down. And I'm sorry, but that's not how this works. We're all very different people. We all have very different thoughts, mindsets, experiences, what have you. And I am not here, nor do I want to be a part of these. um, And this is on both sides. This isn't just one. And this is from what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, what I'm reading about is just people taking things so far and not knowing when to stop. It's like we all just need to breathe, relax, and remember that we're all human here. You know, it's ridiculous how out of hand this is getting. And the reason I bring it up is, again, health and fitness lens. This is impacting your mental health, physical health, well-being, that sort of stuff. And if you don't believe me, Pull up your Facebook newsfeed and try reading, you know, these 90 comment, 100 comment threads on your friend's posts of just people duking it out back and forth, back and forth. It's exhausting. It's hard to read. And, you know, there's people, like in my case, there's people I know, people I'm friends with on there, and they are just destroying people over what they believe. And we're not all going to believe the same exact thing. Again, different experiences, different backgrounds. Everyone is entitled to their own beliefs. This is America, the land of freedom. You can believe whatever you want to believe, and that's okay. So why are we encroaching on each other's freedoms and say, you know, tearing people down when they feel a certain way? And I don't, again, I'm not 100% sure why people do it because I'm not doing it. Again, maybe it's something canadential kind of influence. They're looking up to those people. Um, but another thought I had was maybe they're trying to influence someone. So maybe they're saying, look, what you're doing is wrong. Here's what's right. Follow my way. That's kind of what they're saying. And if anyone's ever read Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, phenomenal book. Except that does not make the list anywhere on how to win friends and influence people. You never go after someone like that. Never. So this whole process, everything that's going on, it just keeps stirring the pot more and more and more. And it keeps leading to more stress and strain and negativity. And it's only getting worse from what I've seen. So this is creating that divide and the divide continues to grow from what I'm seeing on a daily basis in college, in the gym, in social media, you name it. And really, we need a candidate who's going to prevent that divide from getting any larger and then start uniting the country. And the reason I'm tying that in with health and fitness is You know, I might believe one thing and maybe my client believes another thing, or maybe I believe one thing, but the guy working out next to me or whatever believes a totally different thing. Are we going to end up feuding and fighting and debating each other over those beliefs that we have that are different from one another? Or are we actually going to do what we went to the gym to do, which is work out and improve ourselves? Like, how far is this going to go? How much of an impact will this have? When do we know when to stop? Personally, I'm saying we need to stop now before it gets any worse. And again, if you want to vote for Biden, 
fine. I'm not going to change my opinion of you. If you want to vote for Trump, fine. I'm not going to change my opinion of you. I could care less either way, but ultimately we need to stop this whole finger pointing and tearing people down and negativity. And again, the spillover effect. So in the muscular system, when you build tension in one muscle group, that tension spills over to other nearby muscle groups. So when you're doing a plank, you've probably heard me talk about the active plank before and how you should tense your glutes, your quads, everything, because the tension you're building in those muscles spills into other nearby muscles, which would be your core. So when it comes to this uh, debate, debacle, the divide, it's only going to get worse because it's going to continue to spill over into other areas of life. And no one has put a lid on it yet. So whatever it is, you know, you can do to help unite people instead of divide and make the problem worse. Please find a way to do it for all of our sakes. Uh, and then around this topic of politics and health and fitness and wellness and all, just consider to where you stand on those beliefs and which candidate or which, um, you know, candidates, um, correspondence, I guess you could say, you know, who they put in their cabinet positions and who they appoint here and there, that sort of thing. Um, who is going to take the steps towards positive health and fitness? And that's something I know I personally have not looked at too much. I've got grad school and I'm running a business. So time can get a little tight sometimes, especially when you're trying to sleep seven hours a night. But in general, if you really care and focus about health and fitness, then maybe you should look into the candidates a little more and see what their stances are on health and fitness related policies. So what I mean by that is, um, is there any kind of incentive for people who work out or go to the gym or get fit? Uh, is there anything going on with the FDI, FDA? Do they want to tighten regulations on certain foods? Do they want to loosen regulations on certain foods? Do they want to get rid of all regulations? Do we want more regulate, like extreme regulations? Do we want the government totally limiting what we can eat and say, look, you cannot get soda or diet soda anymore because they're bad for you. They're gone. What do we want? So think about those things and think about what candidate would make them happen or what would, which candidate would uh, believe those same things as you. And again, this isn't a topic I'm very well versed in or knowledgeable, knowledgeable about. I'm more that health and fitness kind of road uh, and physical therapy, but I felt like it was important enough for me to at least take a stab at it and bring it up if nothing else. And if you feel like I've wasted my breath, then I'm sorry for wasting 10 minutes of your time. Uh, just trying to remind everyone that, you know, we're all humans and we need to focus on respecting each other and believing in each other and just treating each other as humans instead of continuing to tear each other down and just make this whole problem get so much worse. So... Now that we've got this intro out of the way, and we just, again, felt like it was important, felt like it was worth bringing up, now we'll get into what you're here for, or at least I think what you're here for, uh, supplements and more. 
So there's a lot of supplements on the market. I don't have any exact number right off, but it seems like every day there's some new company or new companies for that matter, new sponsored athlete pops up, whatever. It's insane how saturated this market is, to tell you the truth, and yet people continue to uh, find ways to poke new holes in it, which is kind of crazy. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to supplements, one of the most popular ones are protein powders, and I'm going to lump some other ones in here underneath them uh, as well, just to kind of hit the theme of muscle building and strength gain. So protein powders are typically used by people who want to gain muscle, build more strength, uh, sometimes for weight loss too, uh, to help keep you full. But in general, most cases fall under the strength gain and muscle building. And that's where most of the research falls in too. So I'm going to break down the protein powders, so whey, casein, collagen, vegan, but then I'm also going to break down amino acid supplements and then two, uh, three others actually that I'm lumping in under this little section. So creatine uh, would be one of them, HMB and melatonin. And then in a, another podcast episode next week, I'm going to be talking more about the pre-workout type stuff. So caffeine, carnitine, getting into that a little deeper, um, as well as the general health and longevity type stuff. So multivitamins, superfood supplements, fish oil, that sort of thing. So with that, uh, just going over a couple things you'll notice. Uh, so first, you need to know how to read your supplement label. So that would be the thing on the back, the thing that most people don't really look at other than, you know, how many scoops is in this, that sort of thing. So when it comes to supplement labels. I was looking and I don't have one right in front of me, unfortunately. Uh, but basically you're going to see your calories for your protein powder and then your calories from fat. Okay, no big deal. We're not too concerned about that. What we are concerned about though is we're talking about the scoop and the servings. So what we are concerned about is the size of the scoop. How many grams is it? So are we looking at a 20-gram scoop, a 30-gram scoop, 50-gram scoop maybe? How big is the scoop of protein powder that we're going to be adding? Okay, so let's say it's a 30-gram scoop, okay? Now we're going to skip all the way down to the protein, okay? So skip down to the protein section on the nutrition facts. And maybe we've got 20 grams of protein. So maybe we're looking at 20 grams of protein in a 30-gram scoop, now all we're going to do is divide. Divide the protein by the uh, size per scoop. So 20 grams of protein or whatever uh, amount of protein your powder has in it over the size of the scoop. So 20 over 30 will give us the number two-thirds or 0.67, 67%. So that says 67% of that powder is protein. Now... That is actually a very poor number, and that's why I wanted to start with this, is one of the ways you can assess the quality of the protein you're looking at or potentially buying very quickly and easily is to simply divide the protein in grams by the scoop in grams because that gives you a percentage of how much of that supplement is actually protein. 
And ideally, if you're looking at a whey protein from concentrate, you would want 70, 75 to 80, 85%, somewhere in that range. Uh, isolate whey will be 90% or higher. And casein usually falls somewhere in the middle between 70 to 100%. So it's kind of within that range. But why I bring that up is some of the protein powders I see people taking, you know, you're seeing 50% protein or even lower. And it's like, is that really an effective supplement for what you're trying to do when it's got such low amounts of protein compared to everything else? So that's one way to look at your label. Another way is to go right down to the ingredients. And as I've said multiple times, I try to avoid artificial flavors, colors, and sweeteners. Now, most protein powders are not artificially colored, which is good. Most are artificially flavored and sweetened, though. And you'll see that saying natural and artificial flavors. You'll see um, sucralose or ACE-K or something similar as the sweetener. And personally, again, those are things I try to avoid. Um, my protein powders that I use are sweetened with stevia, which is a plant-based natural sweetener. And I know there's a little bit of a debate out there about, you know, is stevia better for you or this or that? And ultimately, nothing in high doses is good for you. You could take the healthiest thing you could think of, like apples or avocados or whatever. If you eat too much of it, it's not good for you. So that's true with things like stevia as well. But I like knowing that what I'm consuming came from the earth. It was naturally occurring. It did not receive any um, alteration, so to speak. So stevia comes from the stevia plant. Grind it up, add it in, sweetness. Great. Simple. Less processing. Sucralose. Uh, and again, this is just one example of an artificial sweetener. There's others like aspartame, uh, that sort of thing. But sucralose itself comes from modifying sugar so that the body cannot digest it. So you're either way, you know, you could look at it and say, okay, well, it came from sugar. Sugar's natural, right? Um, which we know sugar is not good for us. And that's a topic for another day. But think about the effect adding something indigestible into your body will have when you're trying to digest protein. So you're going to add something that you want your body to absorb and you're mixing that with something that your body cannot absorb. How's that going to work? So think about that. Also think about carogenin or carogenin. This is another commonly added emulsifier uh, into proteins and you usually see it added to different milk products as well, typically like chocolate milk. And I really don't like this one uh, because it causes a lot of inflammation. It is very pro-inflammatory and some studies have even begun to classify it as a carcinogen, which not good. But the inflammation that results from this is obviously going to be localized to the gut at first because we're eating or drinking it. 
So why would I want to pair something that causes inflammation and is linked with gut issues like irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, indigestion, that sort of thing? Why would I want to pair that with protein powder when, you know, I want the protein? I don't want the gastric distress and upset that comes with it. And, you know, I'm saying this for a reason because I don't get that after drinking my protein powder. I used to. There was a time when I started um, lifting and all that early on, and I, I went to the local supplement store and just got the cheapest bag they had. I was like, yeah, protein, here we go, we're going to get jacked. And what I didn't account for at the time was the other side effects of eating and uh, drinking and consuming that cheaper protein. So different IBS type symptoms, gas, bloating, all that kind of stuff. And if you're in the health and fitness uh, sector, or if you're just someone who likes to work out, whatever, and you're hearing all those things, you're like, yep, that's me, hand is up right now. Then I'm telling you there is another way, a better way. And that's just to find supplements that don't have those products in them, those ingredients in them. It worked very well for me and all the research supports it. So I highly recommend looking into it and trying it because honestly, it, it's not going to get any worse for you, right? Um, so just a little joke there. Now getting into the proteins themselves. So we're going to start with dairy-based proteins so or animal-based proteins. And the most common ones we see are whey, casein, and collagen. And I know some people are out there saying, well, you know, there's egg protein too, and you could get beef protein isolate and all that in powders. And yes, you can. That is true. But out of all the supplements on the market for protein, whey, casein, and collagen are your three biggest markets. Um, so we're going to stick with them. And I'll kind of lump mass gainers in real quick under whey. So whey protein, it's fast acting, it's quick to absorb, and it has a pretty high bioavailability, which means our body is going to absorb most of, if not all of, the protein from it. So that's good. I already went over concentrate is going to be somewhere between 70, 75, and 80, 85% protein, and isolate, you're looking at 90 plus percent. There's also another type of whey protein powder you might see called hydrolyzed whey protein or hydro whey. And this is partially digested protein. So there's enzymes added to help digest the protein. And that may help those individuals who are sensitive to uh, dairy proteins and dairy in general, because there's a lot of people living with dairy intolerance. However, because it's partially digested already and you have something so fast absorbing, it's going to cause a small insulin spike as well, potentially. So if you're someone who has been following me and followed my um, take on the insulin and serotonin melatonin pathway, then maybe you don't want to be slamming your hydro way uh, protein shake, you know, midday, because that could cause you to become a little bit more tired through that serotonin melatonin pathway. So we went over the nutrition facts already. 
However, there's more to that. If you want, you can actually look at lab ratings for supplements. And I'm linking to one of my favorite ones in the show notes for Labdoor, labdoor.com. But there's also other ones. Basically, these independent labs will test the quality of supplements to make sure they are pure, free of heavy metals, the, the whole nine yards, the works. And having that testing is just kind of another extra level of assurance that you're getting what you actually think you are. Because remember, the supplement companies, the supplement industry is not really regulated by the FDA. It's very loosely regulated. So the way it works in pharmaceuticals is a, a um, pharmaceutical company, a drug company, has to prove that their uh, drug is effective before it gets on the market. In the supplement industry, it's the opposite. So if a supplement gets put on the market, it has to be proven ineffective, dangerous, not safe for human consumption before it is removed from the market, which seems kind of crazy, but it's just so much in the industry that it's very difficult for one organization to regulate it. Um, classic example would be DNP, dinitrophenol, in the 30s and 40s. People were taking it because it was a great weight loss supplement. And you could literally take this supplement and eat all the pizza, burgers, french fries, everything you wanted, and you would still lose a pound or more of weight every single day. Uh, DNP is also found in things like fireworks, uh, if you're wondering where it comes from. And the issue with it is it's a mitochondrial uncoupler. So it literally will break down the mitochondrial pathway for energy production. And as a result of taking this supplement, people felt very just tired, fatigued, you know, they did, they had no energy to do anything really. And as a result, you know, the supplement was kind of uh, self-defeating in a way. There was also some uh, deaths that were attributed to it too, because there, people were taking it in high doses uh, and because they were putting in food, so calories, and their mitochondria couldn't process it the body would try to burn it off. So you're extremely tired, so you're sitting around, but at the same time you're sweating and your heart rate's way up and you just feel like you're you know, mid-workout right now while you're just sitting down. Um, so that was a very dangerous supplement and sorry to get off topic with that, but just a good example and fit the bill, so to speak. So as far as the effectiveness of whey protein... It's great for improving muscle protein synthesis. However, multiple studies have showed you do not have to consume your whey protein right after training. So you know that whole bro science, uh, anabolic window type thing where you you said, oh, we have to consume our protein powder within 10 minutes or so of leaving the gym or else we're going to lose all of our gains. That is false. 100% false, uh, and I'm very glad it is. So multiple meta-analyses, and I list one very good one in the show notes, uh, so you can go and check that out, shows that total protein consumption per day matters more than protein timing via the anabolic window. So basically what they found is 
You know, some people, they would consume their protein powder, their protein shake right after they left the gym. Anabolic window, bro. But then the, the protein intake they had for the rest of the day was low, which was bad. That was not helping them. There was other people who, you know, they wouldn't even consume a protein shake in some cases after the gym. They would just keep their daily protein intake high. And if you're keeping your daily protein intake higher, so just consuming more protein throughout the day, making sure you hit your protein goals for your macro calculations, then you're going to be fine. You know, it's not like, uh, oh crap, I don't have my protein powder with me. I need to go to the supplement store and buy a ready-to-drink bottle like before I lose all my gains. That's not how it works. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and talk a little bit more about this. Think back to what I just said in the uh, first 10 minutes or so about artificial ingredients and carogenin and inflammation and that sort of stuff in the gut. So if you're slamming a protein shake that has those ingredients in it, Immediately after working out, which we know working out itself, exercise itself actually promotes inflammation. You know, if you look at someone's physiology when they're exercising, you just look at them and be like, oh my gosh, what disease do they have? Because their muscles are breaking down uh, from using them. You know, that's how it works. You break them down, build them up stronger, uh, that sort of thing. And your biomarkers are all over the place. You know, there's times lifting, your blood pressure skyrockets, your heart rate might skyrocket, and then it settles back down. You look at it, and it's like, what are they doing? What, what is going on here? So exercise causes inflammation. So do you really want to slam something that's going to cause more inflammation at the same time? Uh, we'll take this a step further. So with exercise, you're forcing blood to flow into your muscles. And if blood is flowing to your muscles, then it's not flowing to places like your abdominal organs and abdominal contents like your gut. Uh, so your intestines, your liver, your digestive organs. And if blood is not flowing there, how can you expect to absorb something that you put in there? So if you're slamming your little protein shake, and you have no blood flowing to your gut, then what do you think is going to happen? Bloating, gas, all this other terrible stuff because your body is not in a state where it can absorb it. You might be ready for your protein shake, but your body might not be ready for your protein shake. So you have to take that into account as well. So I think that about does it for whey protein powder. So now we'll move on to casein protein. And if I forget something, I'll go back. So casein is very slow digesting. You know, people typically take this later at night and they do it to maintain or increase protein synthesis through a longer period of time. I've actually found great benefits from adding casein protein powder um, at night. So I'll add it in my little smoothie uh, that I drink every night. And I find, especially for me, because I do the intermittent fasting, I'm going 18, 20 hours a day without eating. It's nice to have that little trickle feed of protein to get you through and make it a little easier. So this is one that I really like and really benefit. 
and the research for casein is very, very promising. A lot of good studies out there, a lot of benefits to drinking it, more muscle protein synthesis, more strength gains, better performance gains, that sort of thing. Um, There's even one study that compared the two uh, proteins, whey and casein, side by side, and found that those who drank casein did a lot better than those who drank whey. Now, obviously, you have different extraneous variables that come into play there, too, like the subjects themselves, you know, were, you know, did some of them, were some of them like avid gym goers who just kind of took a little time off and then came back or that sort of thing? Um, or were the people drinking whey protein, drinking it right, right afterwards? Um, what was the design of the study itself? So there's some potential issues there. But when it comes to casein, you have two main types. You have micellar, which is slow digesting, and um, hydrolysate, which is hydrocasein, so pre-digested. Uh, issue with that is it tends to absorb a lot quicker than micellar. So it might be easier for your body to take in, but you're not going to have that trickle feed of protein into the body that we like to see with casein. And um, I mentioned both of these are dairy sources. So with that, dairy, so milk itself, is actually a blend of whey and casein, and you would filter the whey out of the casein if you wanted to separate them. So um, pretty easy to do. I do that when I make my homemade Greek yogurt. I strain the whey out, and Greek yogurt is, if done right, a thicker consistency than regular yogurt, and that's pure casein protein. Uh, cottage cheese is another one that's pretty much pure casein. You won't see any dairy naturally that is pure whey because dairy naturally occurs as a blend. So I know a lot of people like to harp on that and say, you know, we shouldn't be consuming whey protein because it doesn't occur naturally. My solution and my issue, um, and this has actually worked wonders for me, giving away more of my secrets and tips here, uh, in my smoothie, I drink both whey and casein at the same time. So I do kind of half and half, so to speak. So there's some whey and there's some casein. So I get the short-term benefit and the long-term benefit. Uh, one potential issue with drinking casein is the potential for bloating. And this isn't anything research-based. This is just, you know, they've got collections of data online. There's a bunch of people I know who drink casein who talk about issues with bloating when they take it and then they'll stop taking it and you know, it'll go away or whatever, but casein could cause bloating. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the mechanism for that, because again, it's not overly research-based, but just be aware that if you start taking casein protein and you start to get bloated, that could be why. So we've got our two dairy proteins out of the way. Now we've got collagen protein, and we're not quite done yet. We got a lot left to go. So Hang in there with me. So collagen protein, and this does typically come from cows. So bovine collagen um, comes from the bones in most cases. And collagen is the main structural protein in our body. So this builds a lot of different things from our skin to ligaments. Our body uses collagen for a lot. And that makes sense because proteins themselves are the building blocks for our body. It's kind of like our Legos. 
um, our building currency. So collagen is really exploding lately. Um, just all over the market, it seems like, you know, you've got collagen protein bars popping up now where there didn't used to be collagen protein bars. You've got collagen protein powders. You've got all kinds of different things that didn't used to be there. Um, or if they were there, they weren't overly popular. And I will say some of the benefits to collagen, so helping keep different body structures healthy, soft tissue structures like the ligaments, overall joint health, um, those are good things. We like them. The research is pretty good on those as well, saying that, you know, collagen might not be doing everything here, might be some of a placebo effect, uh, at least some studies have shown that. But at the end of the day, if a placebo effect is causing you to gain results, are you going to complain? <laughs> you know, if you're getting the results you want, that seems like a good thing. So, sorry, I took a little pause there. I had a elderberry in my mouth. I'm kind of pacing here today. Um, but, yeah, so collagen. Great, highly recommend. One of the things that I add to my own smoothies, um, good for those soft tissue structures, good for joint health, that sort of thing. Um, obviously, watch your source and watch your type of collagen and also watch the um, marketing ploys that you'll see with collagen. So, you know, some collagens will be priced a little more expensive and it'll be like the beauty collagen blend. And then you'll look at the nutrition facts and it's identical to the next kind of collagen. Um, I like to get grass-fed collagen as well because, again, it's coming from cows and we've talked about the importance of a good, healthy animal when you're sourcing your um, proteins and other um, foods and other things like that from an animal. So grass-fed, um, grass-finished if you can get it, that sort of thing. Uh, other thing cool about collagen is this is actually... Um, I've mentioned Dr. William Lee in his book, Eat to Beat Disease, a few times lately. Uh, really love what he's done there. One of the things he's actually looked at is collagen, and he has found a lot of benefits to collagen, which is very cool because he looks at angiogenesis, which is the process of building blood vessels. And his angiogenesis foundation focuses on uh, manipulating angiogenesis so for things like tumors and cancer so they're actually finding um, collagen is one of the best anti-angiogenic foods or food groups that you can be consuming uh, so very beneficial nutrient for that because he's basically saying look the research shows that this helps to cut the blood supply to tumors so tumors won't get nutrients that they need and it would just, as a result, inhibit or slow their growth. Um, and that research is very cool and very promising. And hopefully we can keep finding more studies like that because those are good things to know. So we've went through our three animal proteins that we're going to talk about. Vegan protein powders are next. And there is a little debate on these because of the issue of heavy metals. You do typically see these uh, with uh, different vegan and vegetarian protein blends because they're coming from the earth directly. So they're not coming from an animal source. 
Other issue that you're seeing is you have a lot more processing going on. So with animal products, there's naturally protein there. They're naturally high in protein. Plants are typically lower in protein and you have lower bioavailability. So remember the bioavailability chart, the ways are higher, casein is pretty high. The plants are usually about half that. So usually 40 to 50, 40 to 60% bioavailability. So much lower on the list. Uh, but plants themselves are low in protein or lower in protein. And as a result, you need to do some refining in order to get higher amounts of protein. So typically they'll use refined forms of soy protein, soy protein isolate, that sort of thing here. And we know that regular soy, like fermented soy, like miso, that sort of thing, is very good for you. Now, this super refined processed soy, like soy protein isolate, not so much. That's where you start to see issues with soy as a phytoestrogen. Now, there are other types of vegan proteins like pea protein or brown rice protein, that sort of thing. And those are a little bit better. But again, you still could potentially run into the heavy metal issue and you're still going to run into the bioavailability issue. Now, there are still good plant proteins out there and they're still available. You just need to filter through and sift through a little more. You need to be a little more rigorous in your search process to find them. Um, so again, looking for those natural ingredients, nothing artificial, and really doing more of a quality check here. Make sure that the supplement is banned substance tested. Make sure it's heavy metal tested or went through some independent lab rating and you can get the results online. Do that ahead of time because you're going to save yourself a whole world of hurt. Even if you have to pay a dollar or two for the results, that saves you a whole world of hurt compared to what you could be going through um, if you don't catch that and you consume those uh well, lack of nutrients in high quantities for long periods of time. Um, so we've got our vegan protein powders addressed now. That's not one that I'm going to talk about much more because, again, I am not the expert on everything. And I know my limitation. And I'm not vegan. I do not consume vegan protein powders. Um, personally, I prefer being more of that paleo or modified paleo kind of diet. So I think that's where we should look to fall. So rounding off from vegan protein powders, we've now got amino acids on our list. And if you didn't recall, amino acids are actually the building blocks of protein. So it would make sense that if we consumed amino acids, we would see results, um, we'd see altered results in protein synthesis. And we do. So BCAAs or branched chain amino acids are one of the most common forms of these supplements. And they can be beneficial or they can have no effect. So what it comes down to is the amount of protein you're consuming on a daily basis. So that daily protein intake, daily protein consumption. If you are already consuming enough protein odds are you're not going to get much benefit from a BCAA supplement, and the research backs this. Now, EAAs, or essential amino acids, 
are basically a blend of um, all the amino acids, eight or nine, depending on which source that you go with and which company, uh, all these amino acids that your body cannot produce by itself. So these are the ones you have to consume from what you're eating or drinking in order to live, survive, that sort of thing. These actually show a lot more benefits and hope than the BCAAs across the board. So again, BCAAs, if you're consuming enough protein, probably not going to have much impact. If you're lower on protein intake, then yeah, potentially you're going to see some uh, benefits from them. Uh, A lot of people like the flavoring with them, so it helps them drink more water. And sometimes people will drink them for the other ingredients in them, like usually BCAAs are paired with like a caffeine or taurine or something to help keep you energized. Uh, the EAAs, they're very hard to find and hard to come by. Um, but again, all eight or nine essential amino acids. Research looks a lot more promising for them. I'll link to all the studies, um, but especially when it comes to people who are into intermittent fasting. So like myself, for example, again, you know, I like my fasting, really like it, really benefits me. Um, Essential amino acids or EAAs do so much more for you when you're in a fasted state than the BCAAs. So you're going to see more of a protein synthesis uptake, more muscle retention, less muscle wasting, that sort of thing. Um, So highly recommend uh, looking at these if you're into uh, that at all, just to kind of dive in deeper. Uh, Usually when we're talking about amino acids, most companies will talk about leucine because this is the typical anabolic amino acid or the one that correlates to protein synthesis the most. But what ends up happening is you get this leucine spiking of amino acids or of protein where they'll put 10 times the amount of leucine in it than anything else. It'll be a 10 to 1 ratio. And again, there's optimal ratios for um, your body to consume different things. So most of these match what you would expect from uh, food sources and highly bioavailable proteins. So a lot of people question, okay, when we mess with that ratio and throw that off, is that really going to do any benefit for us? Because our body's not meant to or used to processing that. Um, One other note on leucine, uh, and this is another reason why people drink uh, amino acids, is leucine may help prevent fatigue. Uh, there was one study that showed leucine supplement or supplements with leucine can help to um, keep you energized and awake and focused longer. So if you're someone who feels like you know you need to consume your amino acid supplement, whether it's a BCAA or EAA, and you can't quite figure out why it is, maybe it has to do with the effects of leucine on your cognition. So we now have three left. Um, I'm going to breeze through melatonin and HMB real quick, and then we'll end with creatine because I have a lot on creatine. Um, Melatonin, as you know, it's a hormone secreted by your pineal gland, helps to regulate circadian rhythm, and helps to um, promote that cycle of sleep that we all know and love at night. So very important 
but again, your body produces it on its own. And we know that whenever we're consuming hormones that our body can produce um, on its own, when we consume, consume them artificially, we tend to run into some issues. And we see that here. Uh, so the melatonin topic has been highly debated for quite some time, but the general consensus and belief is melatonin will uh, supplementation will disrupt your body's own ability to produce it and can cause all kinds of other uh, sleep disturbances and circadian um, rhythm issues, uh, that sort of thing. So this is one that I say, you know, go with caution with because, uh, you know, you could run into those issues. Melatonin can also cause different side effects like headache, nausea, that sort of things. Um, and in my pharmacology class, we actually talked about melatonin can interact with different pharmaceuticals. So if you're someone taking contraceptive drugs, uh, diabetic medications, maybe immunosuppressants, that sort of thing, melatonin can actually interact with those and cause some less than desirable effects. Um, so definitely keep an eye on those things and make sure you tap out where you need to. HMB. Uh, this is actually a leucine derivative. Um, or, well, it comes from your body will turn leucine into HMB uh, later on. So HMB is a it's becoming a more common supplement. It's kind of like the ozone layer um, for your muscles, so to speak. So it helps to prevent muscle breakdown and catabolism. So this is something that most people consume like one to three grams of per day. And because you're consuming pure HMB instead of leucine, it is way more potent. They say there's usually about a 5% uh, linkage. So uh, if you consumed 10 grams of leucine, uh, 5% of that would be converted to HMB. So it'd be uh, 0.5 grams of HMB as a result. So if you consumed 3 grams of HMB or something like that, then you would actually be um, consuming you would basically the equivalent to 60 grams of leucine. Um, so that's the little conversion there, about 20x. Uh, and again, this is one that some people tend to show a lot of um, potential with. And looking at the study, uh, so we'll break it down here one by one, because this is one I like to kind of debunk a little bit. There is some evidence for increasing power output, but it is very limited. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of studies on it. They're very limited. Muscular damage reduction. That There is some decent uh, evidence for that. Basically, you see lower levels of creatine kinase in the blood following acute supplementation of HMB. So it reduces muscle damage. Pretty good evidence for that. Now, with that, we also have fat mass because a lot of people say, okay, muscle and fat go hand in hand. And there's not a whole lot of, there's a couple studies on these that I've seen, maybe like three or four. 
and basically you may see lower fat mass but it is not statistically significant so they don't know if it's actually caused by the HMB or not. There's been a good deal of research on HMB and testosterone levels in men because they want to know like you know okay is this something that is anabolic in nature and there is no influence of HMB on testosterone levels as far as we know Um, there's no influence of HMB on training volume when you're using it uh, acutely uh, that sort of thing and they haven't really looked at it for other things like growth hormone or range of motion or um, endurance or that sort of thing. So there's a lot of other um, studies out there that look at some different things like cortisol and that sort of thing. Um, There's not really any impact of HMB on cortisol. But if you want to get lost in the studies on HMB, feel free to. Uh, But from what I've seen and read, it is slightly effective for reducing muscular damage. So again, muscular ozone layer. But the effects tend to go away after a few weeks. So if you're someone who is recovering from a surgery or something similar than that, or you're working out hard and you're just feeling really sore and tired and drained afterwards, and you want to try something to see if it can kind of bolster you for a couple weeks here, you can look into HMB. However, the effects are not anything that would make me, you know, write home about and recommend to everyone. Now, while we're on that, there is one supplement that I could go on about forever, and that is the benefits of creatine. And specifically, we're looking at creatine monohydrate. So I know there's other types out there, like creatine hydrochloride, creatine pyruvate, phosphocreatine, um, and I know I'm just scratching the surface uh, when I talk about those different types of creatines because there's so many out there. But creatine monohydrate is the one that you want to be taking. Reason why uh, creatine monohydrate is the most studied. So we know the most about creatine monohydrate. We know this one works. We've been studying it for decades. So With that, take the one that you know works, especially if you're going to spend money on it. Creatine mono is pretty low cost to get a high-quality supplement, and it exerts so many positive effects. Um, So creatine monohydrate can boost your workload, so it enhances um, muscular work or muscular volume, so that can help contribute to muscular growth. Uh, creatine monohydrate can increase the signaling of your satellite cells, which helps you build muscle and repair muscle. Uh, some studies will actually note a increase in uh, growth hormones like IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor, after taking creatine monohydrate. Um, creatine monohydrate helps to hydrate your muscle cells. So you've probably seen on the uh, supplement thing there to drink at least eight glasses of water per day uh, while taking creatine. And that's because your uh, creatine monohydrate supplementation is going to pull water towards the muscles, which again, will help with muscle growth. Um, Creatine monohydrate can reduce uh, protein breakdown, 
which helps you to build muscle. And creatine monohydrate is effective for both short and long-term muscle gain. So it can help acute, it can help chronically. Uh, research shows that it is beneficial for strength, power, high-intensity exercise performance. There's even some studies that show creatine monohydrate is very beneficial for endurance as well, which I haven't looked into that too much, but it is very cool to know that, um, you know, you can take a supplement for strength and power, but also get better at endurance. Uh, and this is a very safe supplement too. I didn't mention that yet. Um, but they have looked at this time and time again for short-term and long-term studies up to five years and it's proven safe so far. Um, and that's five grams a day most of the time. Now, there's even one study that um, has looked at 30 grams of creatine monohydrate per day for five years, which is extremely high dosage, high length of time, and still no side effects. Only side effect noted was weight gain. And with creatine monohydrate, you can expect that because you're going to have a little more water retention. And I just mentioned endurance. So I, again, need to look at the studies a little more on endurance and creatine monohydrate. They're kind of newer for the most part. But I would assume that um, you would see some kind of benefit from the creatine monohydrate uh, hydration effect on endurance. So if you have more water in your body, you're more hydrated, then you're better equipped and better able to do a longer duration endurance event because we all know how key hydration is. Um, there is also some evidence that creatine monohydrate can um, help with different neurological conditions. So it's good for your brain. And the research is still very new in this regard because um, we're, you know, it's a supplement and this is neurological conditions. So we're talking about using supplements as medicine, which is very promising and very good. But at the same time, um, you know, these are, we, we need more evidence and more research is what I'm trying to get at, basically. Um, but there's some studies that are looking at creatine monohydrate in Alzheimer's disease, Huntington's disease, Parkinson's, strokes, epilepsy, uh, spinal cord injury, that kind of thing. Uh, so there is some potential benefits here. Uh, one of the studies specifically that I'm going to link to in the show notes actually looked at children who had traumatic brain injury, and they had 70% reduced fatigue and 50% uh, reduced dizziness to the, compared to those who did not take creatine monohydrate. Um, so a lot of benefits there. Um, there's also some studies that show um, very beneficial for vegetarians. So uh, creatine monohydrate and creatine stores come from eating meat. So uh, you need to eat a lot of meat to get what you would um, be able to get in supplement form easily. But as a result of not eating meat, vegetarians typically have lower creatine stores. Uh, so there's a lot of evidence that shows vegetarians who added creatine monohydrate 
um, you know, they perform better in cognitive functioning, cognitive tasks, and it could help to act as preventative um, for neurological conditions. Um, other things creatine monohydrate can do, uh, the list goes on and on and on. I think it benefits almost every system in the body. It can help lower blood sugar levels, can help improve muscle function. Uh, it can actually help improve reaction time, uh, which I will say the amount of times in the past year or two that I've been able to catch things that are like slipping or falling off a shelf or something like that, the amount of times I catch it compared to when I was growing up, uh, I'm a lot better now than I used to be. And maybe that's the creatine or maybe it's just, you know, trial and error and experience. Uh, but this is one supplement I do recommend everyone consult with their doctor about. And then when they get the green light, take five grams of creatine monohydrate every day. The research shows that post-workout creatine supplementation is better than pre-workout creatine supplementation. So just because you're spending your money for a supplement and you want the maximal benefit, I would recommend taking it after. That's what I do. Um, I wouldn't want to be limiting myself when I know better. Um, so I tried to kind of span this in a little quicker at the end here because I realized I've been rambling for quite some time and I'm sorry for making you listen to me for like an hour here, but this is part one of two uh, of supplements and I hope this kind of gives you a better understanding and appreciation for some different supplements, what they do, how to pick out a good supplement, that sort of thing. Um, I'm not going to get into specific supplement brands or that sort of thing on the show, um, but if you do need help looking into that, please feel free to reach out to us. And uh, while you're at it, please feel free to share the show with someone who you uh, know who might like it and benefit from it. Please like, subscribe, follow us on social media, reach out to us on social media. We're at Brawn Body, Brawn with a W, on all platforms. And otherwise, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Brawn Body podcast. And we will see you and talk to you next week when we're going through different um, supplements about pre-workouts, energizing, fat loss, and overall health and performance, uh, longevity type stuff. Take care.